the people of Greenwood often said that they were the victims of an aerial assault at bullets and bombs rain down from planes. And so the complexity that's introduced is, was there actually bombs dropped on American citizens? Nearly 100 years later, the Tulsa Race Massacre remains one of the worst incidents of racial violence in the history of the United States. Today, we will reflect on the tragedy that happened on May 31st, 1921. Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Briggs. Our guest this week is Dr. Brandy Thomas-Wells. Dr. Wells has conducted research over the Tulsa Race Massacre and the lasting impact it had not only on Tulsa and Oklahoma, but across the nation. Due to COVID-19 protocols, we spoke via Zoom. So there might be a spot or two where the audio isn't perfect, but we also didn't want to edit out any of this important information. Here is my conversation with Dr. Brandy Thomas-Wells on this week's Inside OSU podcast. Tell me, what is the significance of Greenwood? Really how I would describe Greenwood is it was a home, right? It was a home before this massacre. This tragedy occurred uh, in 1921. And even after the massacre, it was still a home. And so Greenwood historically, contemporarily, is this uh, sort of place, uh, especially in Tulsa, where... Uh, Black people, Black Americans, uh, Black Oklahomians came together, um, lived together, and created a community, right? Uh, so they had their homes there, they had their businesses there, uh, but many people in Greenwood actually worked outside uh, of the district. And so when we think about Greenwood then, it really was home and community. And we, when we think about Greenwood today and, and its continued significance, it's uh, often stressed the community aspect of it. And so Greenwood looked like Harlem in some ways. It looked like Atlanta in other ways. And so it was in many ways a sort of a Mecca for Black people uh, in Oklahoma. Now that didn't mean that everyone there was wealthy because certainly that's not the case, but there were wealthy uh, people in Greenwood and that's men as well as women. And they were able to really um, create a good life for themselves and their families based on a plethora uh, of businesses. So as you referred to this being called like a Mecca, you know, it was also known as Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So why was it given that name? Well, <laughs> the historian in me will complicate that, right? Uh, and so we sort of still think about it as the Black Wall Street and the sort of... Um, uh, popular story is that it was dubbed Black Wall Street by Booker T. Washington. Um, and really it's about uh, the wealth, the wealth of the community. And the idea of it being Black Wall Street is this belief that some of the wealthiest uh, African-Americans in the country lived in uh, the Greenwood area. If I wanted to offer any sort of comments about the Tulsa Race Massacre, it would be to keep learning, to keep studying it, and to, to read what different people have to say. The people of Greenwood 
often said that they were the victims of an aerial assault at bullets and bombs rained down from planes. And so the complexity that's introduced is, was there actually bombs dropped on American citizens? That they were being attacked on the ground and from the air by just saying, yeah, it's quite likely it didn't happen. We can get into the history, but we can also get into the psychology of it. What did that mean? What kind of trauma did that produce in that moment and later? that these individuals will still contend that they were under aerial assault. And so that's what I meant. Let's look at this. Let's, let's commit to looking at this from all sort of angles. And as a part of this, while we should seek out the knowledge that is produced by scholars, we, we must value the knowledge that is produced by the community and the view that is held by the community. Now, as a historian, uh, one of the uh, sort of things that I have to complicate here is that we can't find in writing where this name was ever sort of created, right? But we can still uh, honor and respect what it is intended to convey. But as we think about, as you said, uh, in terms of Black history, we think about uh, this uh, and want to learn about it and pull back the layers and say, okay, well, Black Wall Street tells us about uh, the economic prosperity of some people, but what's also hidden in that label of Black Wall Street, right? So does it capture uh, everyone's experience in Greenwood or particular sex? So certainly uh, an important sort of label, and it really speaks to the, um, the sort of promise that the historic Greenwood area held for people in Oklahoma, but also outside of it. We can recognize that while also sort of thinking about what that term doesn't allow us to sort of get to. As we talk about before everything happened, not a lot of people know about this event, even those who are local Oklahomans. And for those who may not know, walk me through what happened that day when everything took a turn. Well, as you know, that is not a simple question, right? And part of it, uh, and really the crux of why it's not so simple, is a lot of this is embedded in rumor, right? So rumor versus history, rumor versus truth, um, what happened that day, and what we have said about what has happened uh, or what happened that day since then, and what we didn't say. Uh, mostly scholars will agree that Dick Rowland and Sarah Page were in an elevator and something happened, whether that is he stepped on her foot because uh, elevators at that time, uh, uh, kind of like elevators today, you know, have technical issues and more so then. And so perhaps the elevator stalled between floors and he reached out to, and this is Roland, reached out to sort of steady himself. This is where it sort of gets complicated. What happened next? Uh, was the white community alerted, you know, within a couple of hours? Were they alerted the next day? Uh, was it an attempted sexual assault? And that's usually where the story goes, is that there was an attempted sexual assault. Now, almost every scholar, whether historian uh, or outside of history, will tell you that that is likely not the case, right? Uh, but in Greenwood or in Tulsa, what we have is sort of like a 
a pressure cooker that had been happening for quite some time. And so what we have are some Black Americans who um, are uh, prosperous, and we have some uh, white Tolstons who are jealous of this prosperity. But, but I would also contextualize that wider in terms of the events following the First World War. And so what we have developing all over the country uh, are these individuals who see themselves as new Negroes. And these new Negroes are people who fought for the United States. They fought for democracy. They answered the call. They defended their nation. And to come back and to be mistreated, um, they certainly was not going to allow that. Now, that didn't mean that prior to the First World War that Black Americans or Black Tulsa sort of uh, laid down and allowed these things to happen, but certainly there's an environment after the First World War. And so what we see is that Dick Rowland is going to be defended by a number of Black men, many of them veterans from the First World War, who show up to the jail and who demand his safety. Because usually uh, what could happen was that Black men or Black women could be lynched before they ever received due process. So this um, mob acting outside of the law would seek to enact or ensure justice. They didn't wanna wait on this. And so on this night of May 31st, going into June 1st, what we have is a white mob that marches on historic Greenwood and they burn some 36 blocks of the area. And so what we see is that many African-Americans in the area are taking, taken out of their district and they're taken to the fairgrounds and they're sort of uh, placed there for their safety and security. But also on that night, what we see is that some people stayed and some people stayed to defend their homes. And so we have an actual sort of like war going on in Tulsa. And so when we think about the Tulsa race massacre, this is also one of those complexities, depending on who's telling the story, is it a story of absolute defeat where white Tulsans decimated historic Greenwood and black people were defenseless and didn't fight back? Or is it a story of a white mob that came into historic Greenwood and black men and women stood up and they fought back and defended it, right? Where there is certainly a loss of property, a loss of life uh, to the point that we can't actually um, tell you exactly how many lives were lost. Conservatively, we put that number at several dozen, uh, somewhere in the 30s. Some people say 36, 38, but the count goes as high as 300 especially talking about the lives lost and just how this entire district of Tulsa has been decimated. So let's talk about the rebuild on Greenwood yeah. and how these families recovered because you talked about they would have to camp out and some places are forced to move out or some that chose to stay. What was that process like for them moving forward? One of the important components of the story about Greenwood is triumph. Because the truth is, Greenwood was rebuilt. 
And sometimes when we tell the story about what happened in the Tulsa Race Massacre, we think about those city blocks that were burned, those businesses that um, were destroyed, and certainly that happened. But within a few years, we see that a number of churches, a number of businesses had been rebuilt. And again, that goes back to uh, how I described Greenwood earlier, community, home. These individuals um, came together and they uh, raised funds. Some of these funds came from outside of this community, but some of it came from, a lot of it came from within. Uh, people who were still struggling financially, but um, uh, donating money to help rebuild a church or rebuild a school, right? And so we see that Greenwood is actually rebuilt and functioning. The Tulsa Race Massacre did not destroy Greenwood, right? And so what happens is, and what we have to be careful about, is telling a story that is static. It's going to be other things in the 20th century that really will destroy or minimize Greenwood as we know it. One of those things will be the Second World War. So a lot of these children, these young people will go off, fight in the Second World War, just like their parents fought in the First World War. After the Second World War, what we see increasingly uh, in this civil rights movement that follows is a breakdown in segregation. And so these individuals no longer have to just spend their money in the Greenwood area. And so a lot of those dollars leave Greenwood and people leave Greenwood, right? And so these children, they decide to create families in other places, oftentimes outside of Oklahoma, right? And so that is going to, in many ways, minimize what Greenwood looks like, right? So it wasn't the massacre. And in no way am I saying that the massacre is not an important event and, it, and that it did not have ramifications. Because certainly it did. Some people, like the Gurleys, right? O.W. Gurley and his wife, they moved away and, and went to California. So people right after this event left the area. But it's going to be later that we'll see that Greenwood really sort of changes and it takes shape uh, the sort of shape that we recognize today. Fast forward to the Greenwood District now and everything as we come upon 100 years, we're talking about how many casualties. You, There could possibly be up to 300. In October of 2020, I believe, out on Oaklawn Cemetery, there is potential for mass graves found. What do you think that means for the history of the Tulsa Race Massacre and what it means now and present day? If and when you know, these mass graves or a mass grave is discovered, I think that it will finally bring closure to some of these families, right? Um, because if we think about it, not knowing how many people are in these mass graves or whatever happened to an aunt or an uncle or, or a child or whatever that might be, a neighbor. Well, as we can determine who those individuals are who are buried in those graves, if it's not all men, this is an interesting story. If it's also children, this is an interesting story. As we start to lay out the occupation of those individuals, we get to learn even more about that night's event, a sort of recognition of what the, the population of Greenwood said happened. I think in some ways it may provide the community vindication. And that's an important part of this. The mass graves 
will keep the conversation on our lips, which is where it needs to be. And moving forward with your point about keeping the conversation on our lips. So just recently in the state of Oklahoma, a law was passed where it's required now in public schools to teach the Tulsa race massacre. So what does this mean for the future of our state as well as possibly the rest of the world? Oh, absolutely. So I will tell you, before coming to um, Oklahoma, I came here in, in 2018, um, I was teaching in Georgia and certainly, and before Georgia and Ohio um, in graduate school, and we talked about the Tulsa race massacre, right? So it's in the textbooks. And so sometimes we uh, say that the Tulsa race massacre is, is not taught. Um, and, and that's not fully true, right? Uh, certainly, we can complicate that by saying what I often uh, tell my students is maybe Oklahoma wasn't talking about the Tulsa race massacre, but certainly other people were, right? Um, and so what happens is when I came here in 2018, there was all of this conversation in the public school system about the Tulsa race massacre and uh, making it a part of the curriculum. But the conversation was actually quite old. As far back as 2001, uh, there was a push uh, in the Oklahoma Senate to make it mandatory to teach uh, this event in um, Tulsa public schools or Oklahoma public schools. And the argument then was that it was not needed because teachers were already teaching it. Right. So later we find out, you know, 20 years later that that's not true and that a lot of teachers are and were interested in teaching it. But how do you have a conversation about something like that that's so terrible, right? And that still has ramifications for the present because many of those individuals, very few of the individuals in Greenwood ever received any uh, money for the damage that um, you know, was inflicted upon them, right? So then you started getting into a, a conversation about reparations and, and, and that's complicated. It was complicated then and it's complicated now. So how do you talk about this, right? And so because of that, many people sort of shied away and it is a very difficult topic um, to talk about. How could something like this happen in Oklahoma? How can something like this happen in Oklahoma where there is this vision of the state and this vision of the people as, as living up to the Oklahoma standard? That, that doesn't mesh, right? So it's important to have this conversation so that we can make sure that we're not teaching a history that's just easy or a, a sort of image of the state that is, you know, uh, comfortable, um, that always sort of confirms what we think about ourselves. And the reason that's so important is because um, it's very hard for Oklahomans in the present to understand all of the issues that are going on in the state if they cannot recognize that some of these issues are really, really old, right? So when you look around Oklahoma today, um, we still have a number of issues in the state. Uh, some of that is poverty. You know, there's a lot of poverty in Oklahoma. It didn't start in, you know, 2020 in the pandemic. 
this goes back, right? And so when we think about that poverty and how it cuts across race, gender, ethnicity, right? So talking about the Tulsa race massacre, and again, back to your question, the events leading up to it, what happened during the event, the Tulsa race massacre and what happened since then will help Oklahomans to get a real sense of themselves. And truly it will make them good citizens of the state. I think if you want Oklahomans to be excited about the past and about the future, then you have to contend with events like the Tulsa race massacre. I wanna thank Dr. Brandy Thomas-Wells for speaking about the Tulsa race massacre and the importance of remembering the tragedy nearly 100 years later. That's all the time we have for this week's Inside OSU podcast. I'm Kelsey Briggs. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And have a great rest of your week.